Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team, and today we have another episode of Editors Unedited, joined by editor Elizabeth Sullivan. I'll let her take it away. Hi, this is Elizabeth Sullivan. I'm the executive editor at Harper Design, which is the illustrated book imprint at HarperCollins Publishers. And my specialty is developing book ideas and taking them from concept to bound book. Um, I spec my own books, I oversee their art direction, and I work on the line editing. So in a way, I'm like a in-house packager working at a publisher. Um, and I love to work collaboratively with my authors. Uh, I mentioned a couple of books I've done. I have a book coming out with Justin Timberlake at the end of October. Don't miss it. Um, I also got to work with the wonderful nonagenarian Iris Apfel on her book Accidental Icon Musings of a Geriatric Starlet which was a huge amount of work and I put so much of my heart and soul into that book in every way but I also work on a range of uh, different subjects including fashion, beauty, uh, fine art photography and so forth and today I'm going to talk to you about a book that I have in process right now that I'm very excited about that is called Red Lipstick, An Ode to a Beauty Icon. I'm excited about it because I think women will love to hear uh, the many, read the many stories that are in this book because this is not a beauty book. It is not a book about wearing red lipstick. It's about looking at red lipstick in so many different ways from a sociological point of view, from a political point of view. Uh, the more you read, the more you look, the more you see that red lipstick is pervasive in our culture. It's not just something to be obsessed about. But on the other hand, I personally am obsessed with red lipstick, as is my lovely author, Rachel Felder. And uh, we bonded over doing this book uh, when we first met to do another book. Um, and our conversation began with Rachel trying to guess what color red lipstick I had on, and she could not guess it, which really surprised me. And we had a good laugh over that. We worked together on two books, Insider Brooklyn, which was her guide to the borough of Brooklyn in Manhattan, and then Insider London, which is the same, both very lovely. But I never forgot about our red lipstick discussion or my own penchant for doing a book on red lipstick. And um, now we're in the process of creating it, and it will be published in winter 2019. Um, I guess I'll begin by introducing the lovely Rachel Felder, a wonderful collaborator whose work has appeared frequently in outlets like the New York Times and many others. Um, and I'm remembering something that Rachel said to me that stuck with me as a simple but true thing, which was that everyone has a relationship to red lipstick, but it's a different relationship. Would you like to elaborate on that and uh, tell me how that informed your choice of topics for this book? 
I would. I mean, you know, the only bad thing about this wonderful podcast is that you can't see our red mouths. <laughs> because Liz and I both, of course, are slathered in red lipstick, different shades for each of us. Mm. But, uh, but to answer the question, every woman has this relationship with red lipstick. For some women, it's a uniform that is uh, a staple that they can't imagine leaving the house without. For a lot of women, it's something that's for a special occasion, it's for a date night, it's for a big party. I meet a lot of women who say, I can't wear red lipstick. That's their first reaction. And, um, and I would argue that they haven't found the right shade, that they, that they can't find themselves in the mindset to feel so committal about a color because red lipstick takes some commitment. If you put it on, you have to make sure you've precisely put it on and keep an eye on it throughout the day so it's not smeared all over your face or worn off. Um, and for some women, red lipstick's biggest um, impact in their lives have, has been the memory of a grandmother that wore it or an aunt that wore it or watching their mom put it on for a special occasion or maybe a movie star on the screen or a model uh, or a lasting image like that. So that was one thing, that was one reason why I really felt that this book would resonate with a huge um, scope of people and uh, was really excited to work on it. The other thing, I mean, I add to that is, you know, of all the lipstick colors that are available out there, red is the most popular color. It's, always. It's always the iconic color, the best-selling color. But I think the thing that is interesting and I wanted to talk a little bit more about was, I mean, this as it is, it's not a beauty book, but it shows us how red lipstick has conveyed different things about women over the course of history. Certain periods, only aristocracy could wear it. In another generation, it was banned and shot, thought to be the, the makeup of showgirls or prostitutes. Um, suffragettes wore red. For suffragettes, it was their yeah. empowering banner of, uh, we are suffragettes, we are women, hear us roar. Right. And, you know, um, it's also Madonna, when Madonna did the same thing. She was wearing red. Many beauty icons have worn it. So in terms of um, this book, because we were touching on, on in discussing it before we, we sat down to figuring out its shape, we had all these conversations about Hollywood glamour, beauty, uh, politics, um, royalty, and so forth. And we were trying to figure out how we were going to take all the places that we were seeing red lipstick have an impact and put it into a form that was digestible for people in a way that would be appealing to a wide group of people. And, and very selfishly, something that both you and I would lust for to own. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the writing process once you and I had the conversation about the content? Sure. I mean, the writing process for this book was different than um, the other books I've written and is also different than my journalistic process. And it was exciting and laborious and rewarding, but different. Mm -hmm. um, Liz and I worked together super duper closely and collaboratively, more so than I think is typical for with a lot of author-editor relationships, but in a way that I'm really, really grateful for. Uh, yeah, we were very much on the same page that we wanted a book that wasn't trite or trivial or a beauty book. 
uh, although it's all through the lens of red lipstick. And we wanted a book that we both wanted to read and covet and adore, but also that all different types of people of different ages and different sort of interest levels with beauty would be interested in as well. Um, so uh, the starting place was was unusual because the starting place almost was I wrote the whole book and then we had to pick and choose and parcel out. Well, she wrote the whole, you wrote the whole book in the introduction. Yes, correct. And then created some vignettes and then... I said, this isn't going to work because you're giving one line to all these subjects that I would like to see stretched out. So then tell me what you did after we had that conversation. Besides sticking pins into your Liz Sullivan <laughs> voodoo doll. No, it's the opposite. I was grateful. I mean, Taskmaster. One, evil editor. One mm. thing that I should say from the writer's standpoint is, you know, when you're a writer, you pray that your editor will be... Um, emotionally involved and really roll up her sleeves and want to make the best book then get, that can be made. You, you, For me, I don't really want to write a book that I hand in and it just gets accepted and let's go and it's perfect. You, you really want someone who has experience with beautiful and deep books giving you some advice to make right. your book more beautiful. Yeah. Well, I deep. think what I, what I would say that, you know, to, what I was kind of going after here was what happened was when Rachel turned in the manuscript she had a pretty lengthy introduction and but it was jam-packed with information covering all the types of subjects we've been discussing but uh, I kind of wanted more on everything and then we moved into some profiles and I thought wait I can't even edit this yet because it isn't working. And we had this conversation where I think we were both struggling, right, I, well, to put our right. arms around right. how we were going to take something that didn't really feel like it was on the money yet and reshape it. So what Rachel did was, you know, we after she and I highlighted certain stories or topics that she had begun or had thrown out at me as a one-liner, she turned them into a series of vignettes. Some of them were one paragraph. Some of them were two pages, yep. three or four paragraphs. And so what we did, we decided to do together. And that's what I love about making the kinds of books that I make, was to have this conversation of how we were going to make this more digestible and fun and still have you know, the the content level be where it should be. So uh, what she ended up doing was writing a profile about Queen Elizabeth I and her penchant for red lipstick. And when she died, she had something like a quarter of an inch of it caked on her lips because she never took it off. And then Queen Elizabeth II had a lipstick made for her when she was coronated called Coronation Red, right? Um, and we told that story. And then we told the story of suffragettes and wearing red, or we talked about the rivalry between Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden and their rival salons and their rival reds and their rival makeups. We talked about Rosie the Riveter. Yes. When then we went into music in the 80s when slick red lips were really big and it was all about Blondie and uh, Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer and Susie and the Banshees and uh, kind of that whole phase of it, Sade, you know. And then we'll step back and we'll look at it from a couture point of view 
the House of Dior, uh, Chanel, pairing her with Rihanna, looking at that. And we have done a lot of that, too. So that was part of it in terms of the editorial content. But I think the other thing that, you know, I wanted to say is, you know, these books are graphic and I it's very important to me that the book size and the whole feel of it is experiential. I mean, it feels like the right thing and that you can move around and get all this beautiful color. So yes, we had editorial, but sometimes we were just looking for pictures. And I think because Rachel and I are so rabid about red lipstick, the minute we started doing this book, I immediately and she immediately started going onto archives looking for paintings, advertising, um, just gorgeous images that we would want to look at and either write about them or let them sit by themselves. And so sometimes we have fine art. Uh, we have paintings by Alex Katz and a beautiful portrait by Francesco Clemente. We have a Man Ray. Two. Uh, two, yeah. actually. Um, and we have several um, Grau drawings mm -hmm. by the famous French illustrator. We have Joe Eula, who was mm -hmm. a huge illustrator in, in American fashion. Um, we have uh, other, we have older fine art in here. We have tons of um, ads, not tons, but we, ha we have we ads. Have exquisite archival ads. We have some archival yeah. artwork from uh, makeup houses that are rare, have rarely been seen, if seen at all. Then there's graffiti art. I mean, there's right. kind of That's a whole true. Right. thing because um, I think we both wanted to make sure the book expressed visually as well as in the words, the scope. Um, but yeah, it was, once once we had that text with the loaded introduction, the exhaustively loaded yeah. introduction, that almost became the skeleton of the book because then we started to be able to pull out what was going to work and we also started to pull in yeah. images at that point so they started to work together. and. One thing that I always had kind of running through my head with the writing was I, I wanted the book to be substantial in content, but not so weighty in tone or, or lengthy in text that you felt kind of um, burdened by right. it. Mm. And, but I didn't want it to be magazine-y either. So it's kind of this beautiful, uh, deep breath of a pace in terms of going through all these vignettes and the gorgeous images and then the stories to go with them. And one thing that I can say extremely confidently is that even if you thought you knew everything about red lipstick, you will learn things from this book. And I Totally true. Right. I yes. say that mm -hmm. because I thought I knew everything about red lipstick and I was incorrect. And I, I think Liz might say the same. Uh, definitely. Right. And I, and so one surprise about working on this book for me was the amount of research that went into it because I did go I, I did go in a little bit as a know-it-all um, because in addition to writing books I write about beauty for big places and I and I've been writing about beauty for many years so I really thought I knew it all and mm -hmm. I was absolutely incorrect and uh, and I learned lots of cool things and s some are practical about lipstick shades with different complexions and some are neat historic stories and I also interviewed some scientists and sociologists for the book so some is that kind of content and um, I think it's I think it's a uh, 
surprisingly deep book that's not written in scary deep language. Yeah, I think that's true. You can yeah. bite you could bite off bits and pieces. I mean, it talks about how you know red. If you're in a room and uh, someone is wearing red or they have red lipstick, they're more more attractive to the other people in the room than the people who are not wearing that. How it's suggestive of sex. I think the empowerment part, though, I didn't know about the suffragettes, which I thought was very very cool. Yeah. I also think as um, a tool to feeling better about yourself. There's a great story in the book about the concentration camps in World War II. Um, a lot of the cosmetic companies, and here I'm telling you a story, but a lot of the cosmetic companies, well, like Arden, for example, mm-hmm. and and Helena Rubinstein made made colors called like Montezuma Red or Victory Red. And uh, when one of the camps uh, was liberated, when the war the war was over, the Red Cross dropped in a ton of red lipstick the next day and there was an article in Newsweek and I think several other publications from this uh, lieutenant's diary in which he noted that the lipstick had been dropped down and there were all these you know obviously very sick people extremely malnourished um, many without clothes the red lipstick gets dropped down probably because it was being distributed throughout the war to women who in uniform often had to wear red um, some some some, some um, yeah. divisions of the navy, for example, required that you wore red that matched the uh, ribbons on your uniform. Right, which yeah. I think is crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but fabulous. But, but these poor, but these these women who had been in concentration camps were given this lipstick, and they all gravitated towards it and put it on. And I think it was both exhilarating and shocking to him to be there to see all these these people, you know, getting this immediate lift from it. So, it, you know, it's it's everything from romance to sex to seduction to power to glamour. And um, I think we covered that, you know, very, very well. And then the visual side, what I was going to say that I think makes this an interesting book, at least for, I think for us when we worked on it, was the, the dialogue between the visual and the editorial, because we weren't really picking pictures to go with text per se. In some cases, yes. I mean, if we're going to talk about Rosie the Riveter, we're going to show the iconic poster. But we were also discovering some new images and putting together things that were unexpected or that we thought were witty. So one example of that, which I know is probably my personal favorite, is we've paired Snow White with the evil stepmother, cells from the animated film, and run them full bleed next to each other on a spread. And the only text on the page is, and it's going to be in very small type, <laughs> Yes. who is the fairest of them all? That's it. So there's a comic, you know, it's not all serious. We paired Wonder Woman with Catwoman. No words. Sometimes it's just a gorgeous painting. And then through that, what Rachel and I did was we made a book map. We had two or three sessions where we just cut out pictures, we edited things out, and then we started creating pairings, and then we started to put them in an order that felt organic to us to create a flow of a book that was not chronological. It just felt right to flip through. It followed a certain level of chronology. It, it did. But, but not exact. But those were pivotal moments to me in, in working on the book because... I started chronologically, and it became clear that that wasn't the most effective right. way to do it. Right. And one upside, 
any authors out there, what upside mm-hmm. to writing a book that's vignettes is mm-hmm. you don't, you're not stuck to the order. You know, th- this book is really uh, written and designed that if you felt like flipping from the back forwards, no problem. If you mm-hmm. felt like starting in the middle and then going to the front, no problem. And, uh, and so those meetings that we had where, I mean, they were essentially like preliminary layout meetings. Yeah, but definitely. I, right, but I feel like the the order and flow and shape of the book really happened in those meetings because as we started to really think about where the pictures would go, some of the pictures dictated order, and then when we started to put words with those, it was like, oh, yeah, now we have an order of the book. Excellent. Right. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, you do. That's something in the illustrated book you have to think about. You know, mm-hmm. some things just don't look good together, and some things surprise you. And I, I always think about the flow of the book and I don't want things to feel repetitive so you know it's not just about the content of the images too it's like how big is this gonna go does this make sense before this is this like a good surprise to turn to after here have we had too many illustrations in a row right that kind of thing so it's about so this book was like really like putting all the content in a blender and not chopping it up too much you know? Although we did literally chop when we, we would did. have our meetings, we would have we would print out the images, we would and print out right, and we would physically cut them and tape them. And maybe it sounds old school, but it was great because it made it so tangible, and you really could flip through pages. And at the end of each of those meetings, at the end of those days, mm-hmm. each one of them, it was exhausting. We, it was exhausting. <laughs> it was fun. It was super fun. Mm-hmm. And we would we would flip through and. Um, and it would give you a sense of that flow in a very clear way. Yeah, it was kind of like a dance. It right. was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly. uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, no, and then we'd be like, oh, wait, uh. And if it felt bad, then we would go back. But, no, it was a great process, and um, it's going to have a gorgeous cover. Oh, yes. So please order it for your libraries. We had a, we're having a gold foil cover, very elegant matte, brushy gold, with a drawing that we commissioned by the book for the book by illustrator Bill Donovan, who uh, teaches fashion illustration at FIT here in New York. He's also a brand ambassador for Dior, mm-hmm. and he does commissioned work for them. But we just love his style, and it's a very glamorous cover. But it's so not like an intimidatingly it's glamorous. It's it's it's, it's hip. beautiful, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. doesn't it's not. Something that's so highbrow or or luxurious with a capital L that lots of people wouldn't like to read. No, yeah. and it's a good reading size too. It's not a gigantic tome. I mean, it's an intimate size. Exactly. So, thank you for listening. This concludes our conversation with Rachel Felder, the author of Red Lipstick, an ode to a beauty icon. The book will be published in April 2019. We love our book. We hope you'll order it for your libraries. And buy it for your friends and family. Exactly. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.